Understanding the basics of real estate investing and what it can do for you is really step one. Having a true grasp of what it will look like and setting expectations is how we can properly assess the level of risk you're willing to take on as a new investor. We cover some of the key topics that will help better prepare you for some of your first investments. The money is the easy part. That's the easiest part of real estate. But I can tell you, I talk to so many people and their eyes glaze over when I start throwing out numbers and terms yeah. and acronyms. Yeah, I think they have to understand the basics yeah. before they can really dabble in this correctly. Yeah. So, I mean, what do you think? I mean, where do you people usually start? Where do people usually start with, with lending? Gosh, I mean, I think that initial conversation of just education is huge. So I think, you know, being able to really get your knowledge base, because I think mm -hmm. everyone's used to their primary residence. They've done it. They know how that works in the simplest sense, et cetera. But that's not how this world works. Yeah. So education, I think, is key. And that's what, you know, a lot of this, these conversations are going to be about is really trying to educate uh, all investors on kind of how the lending process works in this space. Yeah. So you think, okay, so you hear some bigger pockets or you hear Grant Cardone or whoever, and you, you think, okay, cool, I want to get into investment real estate. And then you walk into a branch and you say, hey, I, uh, you're of your local bank. And you <laughs> say, hey, I would love to flip a house. And what and do you they're going to look at you with crazy eyes. Yeah, and they're, say, they're not even going to know what you're talking about. No, they're not going to know what you're talking about at all. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think you got to slow down your process. Yeah, you could start with your local bank and like have those conversations because I think they can be valuable. But is that going to be the person that you're going to really like grow a long term relationship in regards mm -hmm. to lending with? No. Yeah. I mean, I just think I think it's really kind of honing in on what aspects of lending does a first time investor need to know? What yeah. would you think? What do you think is the overall highlight for that? Well, and I think I think the biggest thing is, is it's like you, you got to know what's available mm -hmm. and OK, yeah, you can go to your local bank. You can even go to your local mortgage company and say, hey, what do you have available? But if they're just an in-house lender, if they're if if they're only giving you the products that they have and not or, or rather the, the, the products that they have in-house, yeah. you might not fit in that box. And I think that's where a broker comes in is yeah. if you can work with a commercial mortgage broker, they can look at everything across the board. It just puts you in such a much better position as an investor because you know, hey, I got this in my back pocket. I know I can take down that house over there with, let's say, hard money, or I know, and I know I can refinance out and, you know, as little as three months, sometimes even less in, into a cash out refinance and stabilize this property as a, as a long-term rental or, or what have you, you know, but I think that's key is, is working with a broker. And yeah. that's what, you know. Yeah. Conveniently, that's yeah. what we do. So that's what we do. Yeah. LFG Lending, you know, we're an investment real estate brokerage that focuses solely on investment real estate. So again, yeah. if, if you were looking to buy your first primary residence, uh, we're not your person. You want a house hack. We're not yeah. your person. No. We'll connect you with great people that can help and assist and you know, kind of work those moving parts. And you can eventually kind of come back to us on the, the next deal that you're working, but only investment real estate. So anything from short-term financing, like hard money and bridge loans and stuff like that to long-term and DSCR. But a lot of those facets, like there's so many moving parts. Like what do you think? So on the short-term side, what do you think is the things that people need to know on the short-term side that first-time investors tend to run into that? Oh my gosh, I just wish they would have known that sooner rather than later. I wish yeah. they would have talked to me so they could have avoided 
whatever concern. Yeah. And and I, I think if we, so when we talk short-term, we're talking short-term lending versus long-term rend- lending, yeah. right? Yep. So short-term lending, we're going to be using that to get into a properly quick property quickly. We're going to use that to rehab the property. And then we're either going to flip that property and sell it on the market as soon as it's ready to go, or we're going to refinance that, stabilize it with, with long-term financing through a refinance, right? So yeah. that's what we're talking about when we're talking about short-term lending. And the number one thing that I get from people about short-term lending when they're first starting out is their eyes glaze over and they're, <laughs> they're, they, they get a sense of fear and trepidation about some of the costs that are associated with short-term lending. And what's hilarious about, I mean, yeah, okay, so the rates are higher. They're, they're 10, 12% depending on experience, but this is a short-term loan. This is not a loan that you're going to have for 30 years. Yeah. You're going to have this thing for three months. You're going to have this thing for 90 days, maybe maybe six months, right? Yeah. Depending on how big the, the rehab is. And the thing is, is that you get that loan, you are not tying up your money in the house. Yeah. It's thinking about it strategically. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are like, I'm just going to pay cash. Yeah. I'm just going to rehab it myself. And I'm like, oh my gosh, your cash position is going to dwindle completely. Completely. In one deal yeah. for most people. So oh, yeah. again, like this isn't, we're not even talking about the the wealthy people of the world. We're talking about like the basic Joe Smo yeah. is going to liquidate everything they have in assets yeah. to take on one deal. Yeah. Or they could pay three to four interest only payments yeah. in this loan and some closing costs and stuff like that to allow for a much, much smaller number to be used to take down a transaction. Yes. Huge. And the, th- the thing is that a lot of people, folks don't think about is, okay, well, I'm going to skip the hard money lender and I'm going to just pay cash for everything. But then I'll tell you what, when you go to, if you want to stabilize that property, if it's not just a flip, or if you have trouble selling it and you have to stabilize the property, then you're looking at a refinance. And with that refinance, that cash out refinance, that lender is going to, want to make sure that you don't have every single dollar to your name in that property. Which you, you probably which do. Which you probably do if yeah. you're taking it down in cash. So you you really need a liquidity buffer. And that's something that, thanks to low interest rates for the last 10 years, people have been programmed to avoid. People often do not like keeping cash on the sidelines because they feel like they're not doing anything. But the, the fact of the matter is, is that cash buffer is necessary because it's, because, okay, just the practical points of what, what if there's an oops? What if there's a, a mistake? What if there's a problem? I mean, have you ever taken down a pro- property that had a sewer line issue? Maybe a septic <laughs> that needed completely replaced. So. Yeah. I mean, and I what's, mean, what's that price tag? Like 20 grand? So the septic that we had to replace on a property that we didn't expect, didn't yeah. know, I, I'll, I'll even fall on the sword and say that I didn't even know it was on a septic. The deal was so good, so juicy that I like didn't even care. I didn't even care. And then all of a sudden we had to put a new septic in. I think the final number was 11 grand, but it was a small deal. So like the overall cost in the deal was like 60 grand. So $11,000 is a big old chunk is an unexpected expense that thankfully we had room in this deal for. Yeah. But some deals don't. Yeah. And so whoopsie-daisies happen all the time. And that could be, hey, the deal ended up not being as strong as you thought it was by the lender's outlook. So Mm -hmm. maybe your after-repaired value came in lower than expected, which could just be the lender being cautious. Mm -hmm. Or that could be you're being a little ambitious with your after-repair value. And I say that all the time. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, our clients are going to review the deal and feel confident about it. We're going to look at the deal and say, yeah, this thing Mm -hmm. has legs. This works. The lender's going to look at that. That is your last stitch effort Mm -hmm. to say, is this still a good deal or not? Mm -hmm. And we should be 
validating yeah. that concept. That yeah. should be a good thing. That should be your protection to ensure that you don't get into a deal that isn't as good as you think it is. Mm -hmm. And I think too often clients tend to be like, oh my gosh, this came in so low. This is ridiculous. Yeah. No, no, no. This is actually protecting you in a huge way to ensure that you don't get into a deal you can't get out of. Yeah. And we try to protect our clients as much as possible. Like mm -hmm. if I don't have an exit strategy for you mm -hmm. or maybe multiple exit strategies for you, yeah. we want to vocalize that as much as possible so that you can protect yourself based on your risk if this is still a deal that you want to get involved in. But yeah, I mean, whoops-a-daisies and unexpected repairs and market changes are all things that can happen. So what's this getting at? It's getting at, you know, when people that are buying in cash, when they're buying that first flip and they're like, I'm just going to pay all cash or I'm just going to use, I'm just going to use my HELOC and, and load up my HELOC with it, right? My home equity line of credit. Yeah. They're thinking, I'm so savvy. I'm, I'm taking like this conservative, safe approach when in fact, that's not the conservative, safe approach. Oh. Because if you use all your money in this thing, if you go a little over budget and you didn't expect to, what are you going to do? How are you going to yeah. do that? How are you going to dig yourself out of that hole? And then people said, well, I got credit cards. Okay, cool. You want to really screw your situation up. Yeah load up your credit cards. I mean, a lot of people don't realize a major factor in your credit score is credit utilization. So that's anything over 30%. Expect anything, your your score to drop 50 to 100 points pretty quickly. Pretty quickly. Yeah. So that's 30% of your total overall credit limits across all your cards. Yeah. If you are if you are consistently going over that and you're like, man, why won't my credit score go up? Well, that's probably a good indicator. Yeah. Once you have established credit, that's pretty much the only like main factor that'll fluctuate oh, yeah. your score up and down. So it's just yeah. being cognizant of how you're going about these projects. And we talk about that all the time of like just overall risk. What, do, what are we looking at on this deal? And uh, what factors are you taking into consideration to ensure that you're protecting yourself on getting out of this deal, either with a sale mm -hmm. or refinancing, which again, refinancing is an option. So Brooke and I, we don't flip to sell. We flip to hold. Mm -hmm. And, you know, investors can look at that in multiple different facets. So instead of buying a property, rehabbing it and selling it off, uh, we use the Burr method. So buying, rehabbing, refinancing, renting and repeating that process. And so we've done that to grow our rental portfolio. And we use DSCR loans. So w tell me a little bit about DSCR. DSCR? One of the letter loans. So all the acronyms, it's like us in the military. I love acronyms, us being mortgage people. So DSCR loans, that's a debt service coverage ratio loan, right? So that's going to be where we use the income and the expenses of the property to qualify the loan rather than your personal income. So, you know, this, this is like the golden ticket, I think, for real estate investors because Let's say you 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 know you you're looking at real estate investing content. You fall in love with the concept. You you start to run numbers. You're getting really good at it, and maybe you buy a couple properties and 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 you flip them and maybe make a hundred grand or something crazy, right? And then you're like, you really go all in, which I don't necessarily recommend this. And then and then let's say you quit your two job. Yeah. Well, if you used a, a conventional loan that first time. That conventional lender isn't going to look at you anymore if you nope. don't have that W-2 income. Yep. But a DSCR lender, debt service coverage ratio lender, is going to look just at the income and the expenses of the property. They aren't, we, you know, they're not even going to look at, do you have a W-2 income? Do you have a W-2 job? So, so wait, just to clarify, no income validation. No income validation. Not for you personally. No, that's a sweet spot. But, and I will, there is, there are some caveats to it. So, you know, you can't just... Well, let me back up. So, so let's say so so what is this ratio? The ratio roughly is about 1.2, right? 
So that or 120%. So in other words, if you have a mortgage payment all in, principal, interest, taxes, insurance, or PITI, uh, thousand bucks, thousand bucks, we want to make sure that you got rent of 1200 bucks a yeah. month, right? So, and I would say most of our investors want cash flow above and beyond that. So this is yeah. this isn't, you know, a, a guideline that's going to be ambitious to meet in most yeah, cases. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So some caveats to that. Well, first caveat is it there's going to be some checks on what rent you're charging, right? So yeah, you might go out and say, well, I got this house and I could just get a buddy to sign a lease for $3,000 a month when the market rent's only $2,000 a month. But the thing is, is is that lender is going to double check it. And how they double check it is with a 1004. They're going to send a, which is a schedule of market rents that the appraiser prepares, right? Yep. So that appraiser is going to not only evaluate the the property, but he's also going to give a recommendation on what the market rent is for that property. And then the lender is going to take the lesser of the two, yeah. right? So we run into this sometimes, especially in smaller towns where you might really do a bang up job on the rehab and you've got granite countertops and exposed brick and it's the best. It's it'll the, be the best rental. It'll be the best rental in small town Ohio. But the problem is, is if you're right next to a trailer park that's charging 300 bucks a month, it's going to massively affect your market rent. Yeah. So you definitely want to keep that in mind that you don't necessarily want to be the fanciest house in your zip code because the only comps are going to be the other houses in your zip code. Right. So just to clarify, when you're evaluating a deal, let's say you take it down with hard money, you rehab it, and you're like, I'm going to keep this bad boy as a rental. Those numbers need to be ran as well. What can I rent this for? Yeah. What is my cash flow looking at? How much wiggle room do I have yeah. to ensure that you can exit mm -hmm. at the loan to value that you're looking for, that you get the loan amount that satisfies not only your hard money loan, but potentially any closing costs, um, you know, a perfect burr. So mm -hmm. again, buying, rehabbing, refinancing, uh, renting and repeating yes, you would get cash out. Does that happen often in this market? You know, it, it, it's harder. Yeah. <laughs> it's harder yeah. to happen. It can. It's not impossible. But, uh, you know, with interest rates where they're at, you know, we, we went from, so on the personal side, you would see rates in the high twos to low threes to buy a primary residence as recently as two years ago, yeah. you know, COVID um, days, COVID days during the COVID days. And, now and, and and on the rental side of these DSCR loans, we were seeing like four and five percent, right? Which people at the time were saying that's insane, you know. Well, now on a on the personal side, I you know I I see rates in the sevens, yep. six nine nine seven, and honestly, the DSCR rates are are not too far off that. I mean, I'm seeing high sevens to low eights, yeah, on on rate and. So why wouldn't someone? consider a DSCR loan over conventional? Is there any reason to go conventional anymore? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a couple reasons. One w would be if you want a house hack. So if you want a house hack, if you want to buy a which house hacking, you're buying a duplex, you're living one half, you're renting out the other side. You can do it with a, a, a duplex, a triplex, or a fourplex. So one to four family is really what the options are. And if you're going to do that and you want to do it with the least amount of money down, an FHA loan is really what you want because you can put three and a half percent down on that, and 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 that's going to be the 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 lowest bar to entry to to get into a house hacking situation. I personally did that. Yeah. I have I done that say, for I was like, I for ten years, and luckily we are moving out 
within the next month. <laughs> so, but it's awesome. I mean, you get kind of addicted to to house hacking because, you know, some other dude pays your mortgage and it's the best thing in the world. I wish I would have known about these kind of things when I bought my first house. Yeah. So we just bought, you know, our cookie cutter, you know, single family residence. And it's mm-hmm. like, gosh, what could I have done to my rental portfolio that could have just escalated things if yeah. I would have bought my first house being a duplex over oh, yeah. our single family? So yeah. just a little thing. I mean, we still rented that property out. Uh, so we quasi did it. Yeah. But again, the trajectory that someone can do as a newbie investor going that direction. What about on the investment side? So- well, I was going to I was going to give one more example of why a conventional loan would work for you and not maybe DSCR. Would be if you only want one. If you want one property and you've got good income and let's say you're buying cuz I see this sometimes. So we're in Columbus, Ohio, right? Home of the Ohio State University. And so I see a lot of investors or a lot of people that will buy a house in the campus area and have have it for their kids to go to the school and then they rent it out to all their buddies so that the the other kids end up paying the mortgage and then they Genius. keep it for a few years and then they they end up selling it with a little bit of appreciation. That could work, you know, like a conventional loan, especially, like I said, if your numbers look good and you have good income and good credit and and you don't want to do this extensively. But if you want to have more than one, if you want to expand to anything beyond that, then you want to start looking at the commercial stuff and this a DSCR loan yeah. because it allows you to do that. Conventional loans, you have a limit. You can't have more than 10 conventional loans at any one time. And then wait, you also can't close an LLC. And you can't close in an LLC. Yeah. So let's say you get real savvy and you want to bring on partners and stuff. You can't buy with a conventional loan with partners. I mean, then you're both going to personally qualify and both be personally named on the property. Yeah. You don't want that. I mean, something happens. I mean, title issues, all kinds of things happen. If if you know if you die, if you get divorced, if you know any number of different things, you want an LLC or or a and don't take this as legal advice. I'm not a lawyer. Full disclosure. Mm-hmm. But like you you want to. Talk to a lawyer about closing in an entity because it, chances are it's going to benefit you in the long run. Across the board. And then lastly, I think one of the big things that we saw at the beginning of the year was that Fannie and Freddie changed their seasoning periods as yeah. well. Mm-hmm. So seasoning is the amount of time that you have to wait from purchasing a property to use the new appraised value. So this yeah. would imply a lot on a property that you're rehabbing uh, where you're you know putting value-added repairs into that property and it's going to be worth more than what you purchased it for. Yeah. So seasoning for Fannie and Freddie is now 12 months. It mm-hmm. used to be six. Six was workable. 12 is, it's null and void now. Yeah. It's not really an option. I don't know of any real estate investor that can, unless you're taking it down with cash, mm-hmm. can really afford to wait 12 months on hard money to get out of their hard money loan. Yeah. Uh, so what are the seasonings like on the DSCR side? So on the DSCR side, certainly six months. There's a lot of lenders that will be at six months. We have a number of lenders that are at three months. We've even picked up a couple of lenders that have zero seasoning. Now, anytime you want to add something extra to a loan, right, whether it be closing in an LLC, having shorter seasoning, having less requirements, it ends up making it more expensive. Because at the end of the day, Fannie, Freddie, FHA, VA, USDA, those are all government loans. Those are government-backed loans. Um, And what that means is the government subsidizes the cost of those loans, which is why they're so inexpensive. The loans that we deal with, DSCR loans, commercial loans, these are private companies. Sometimes they're backed by hedge funds. Sometimes they're just private mortgage companies that are, you know, at the end of the day, they, they aren't subsidized by the U.S. government. 
And so that's why people are like, well, why is it more expensive? Well, that's why. Anytime you're shortening seasoning or looking for higher LTVs or less documentation, it increases the risk factor for those lenders. And that's another reason why those might be more expensive than a conventional loan or an FHA loan. Yeah. I sometimes use the phrase, think like the bank. Yeah. Like if you were lending your own personal funds, what factors would play into why you would charge someone else more as well. Mm-hmm. It's going to imply in this space as well. Yeah. So yeah, if you need 80% for a rate and term refinance, so just to pay off the current outstanding loan balance and all the closing costs, that's really the highest LTV that we're going to see in our world, loan to value. Yeah, you're going to see a higher interest rate. So you you know would rather not show reserves or limited reserves. Yeah. Uh, that's going to potentially limit who we can use. Because again, we're a mortgage broker, uh, meaning that we work with like 40 to 50 different lending institutions. So we're not the direct lender, which in my opinion is extremely beneficial in mm-hmm. this investment real estate space because not every deal works with every lender. Um, where have you seen that happen in some of the deals that you're working with that you know, the same lender doesn't work for every transaction. Yeah. I mean, well, this goes back to kind of what we were talking about at the very beginning is, you know, you, you go into a lender, you go into a bank and if they're just dealing with their own in-house products, you either fit in their box or you don't. So you could get pretty far down the line with them. And if, if all of a sudden we realize something doesn't work or if, you know, Something we talk about also is like underwriters can't unsee something. In other words, if you accidentally provide too much information to the underwriter and it sours their appetite for the deal, I mean, you're in a real problem because then you have to go out and find a whole new lender, Yeah. right? Whereas with us, what we're going to do is when we get those documents, we're going to take a quick look at everything. We're going to make sure that everything's in line, that the loan package is solid, that we're not providing too much information to the underwriter, and we're providing just enough information. So we're going to kind of do a pre-flight of that loan. And then the other thing is, is we're going to shop it with a bunch of different lenders. So, you know, and, and we love our lenders. We love them to death. But sometimes they have pricing changes that are not good for the consumer, for the investor, right? And an investor wouldn't know of that. So pricing changes happen. They just assume that it's market changes across the board. I wouldn't say that's the case in our world. Sometimes the appetite of a lender just changes temporarily. Mm -hmm. Or the the funniest thing is sometimes their processing staff gets overwhelmed with Mm -hmm. the amount of loans that they have. And so they'll inflate rates to give them time to kind of catch up. Yeah. If you don't know that, yeah. you could be setting your deal up, your 30-year fixed mortgage, at yeah. a much higher interest rate than necessary. Well, we can load balance and say, this deal makes mm-hmm. sense going this direction. This deal go- makes more sense going a different direction. And what do, what do people hate? They hate change, right? And so so let's say you start with a lender and you really like that lender and you like the guy at that lender. And, and you know, it's Larry. He's great. Larry's the best. He, Larry takes care of me. Well... The problem is, is that Larry isn't going to look out for you. He's just going to say, well, this is what it is. This is what it is across the board. Sorry, we can't do anything. Well, he doesn't know any different. And he doesn't know any different. Yeah, because he's not going out and shopping, you know. So keeping that in mind that, okay, okay, cool. So you don't have to deal with the change. That's what we do. We deal with the change. So you're going to have the same process with us every single time where we're going to collect entity documents, right? So documents that prove that you own the LLC and that you have certain rights to to take out loans in the name of the LLC. You know, we'll collect, uh, you know, a driver's license and maybe some bank statements and a couple of leases, right? 
And that's it for DSCR, which is awesome, which is super, super awesome. Yeah, yeah. That's like so, nothing. Yeah. No, we're not going to ask for your firstborn child and all the craziness <laughs> no, that conventional asks for. No blood samples. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, it's 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 just a wild world. It's well, so cool. And once we have those documents, we have them. Yeah. It's in a file. Yeah. We're going to hold it indefinitely. So yeah. your first deal gets done. I would say that's when you're going to get, you know, a laundry list yeah. of stuff from us. After that, the list is even tinier oh yeah it becomes hey send me the purchase contract send me an updated bank statement and okay we got you don't worry about it we got everything else we're gonna keep moving along yeah and heaven forbid you talked about you know things happen yeah and they they happen often yeah not in a sense of i would say as long as an investor is evaluating their deal correctly Mm -hmm. i think some of the things that come up tend to be where just evaluations are being a little aggressive yeah if something comes up it's not us saying no yeah it's here are your options. Pause for a second. Yeah. Let me go shop this around. Yeah. Let me figure out a solution and come back to you with that solution and say, yeah. well, does this make sense still for you? Yeah. And again, I never want to imply that this, the solution is going to be pretty because we start yeah. with our best foot forward. Yeah. Our, our, our best terms are going to come in that first conversation, that yeah. first, you know, quote to you. So if we have to go alternatively, those mm-hmm. terms are going to be worse. But what is something that is still comfortable to you to feel that the deal is justified and is something that you're willing to still take on? Mm-hmm. But at least we're not telling you no and saying, good luck, go find someone else. Yeah. It's here's some additional solutions. I love that we don't say no often. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the other thing is, is that, I mean, as a newbie, if we're talking about newbies and, and getting to, to wrap your brain around like the, the financing piece is human beings are really bad at two things, really big numbers and really small numbers, mm-hmm. and mortgages are both. <laughs> you have huge numbers in the, uh, you have hundreds of thousands of dollars for a single loan sometimes, and then you're talking about fractions of a percent in interest, yeah. right? And that's something that, don't get married to the rate, because rates are not forever. You know, get 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 married to the cash flow, or to the property, or to the project overall. Like, if you dwell on the rate, the difference between seven and seven and a quarter, or eight and eight and a quarter, I mean, it's going to drive you nuts. And I mean, when you really sit down and, and play with a calculator, and I encourage you, I encourage you, please go find a mortgage calculator online, Google mortgage calculator. There's a million of them and start messing around with rates. Oh, you're going to, you're going to refinance for $150,000 after you're done. Great. Cool. Play with the rates. See what it looks like. See, see what that's going to impact, how the rate is going to impact your monthly payment so that you're comfortable. So just in case we do have to pivot, like you thought it was going to be at 8%, but then it's, oh, it's only going to, it's, it's actually going to be 10 because you went and bought a Jeep Grand Cherokee last week and with $0 down and now you have a $60,000 car and it's, and it's tanked your credit or whatever. So now we have to pivot to a, a new lender that is going to be 10% instead of the 8%. Okay, cool. Well, does it totally murder your deal? Probably not. It shouldn't. It shouldn't. Or... You probably shouldn't have been considering the deal in the first place. Yeah. And that's where we really got to hone in is make this process as systematic as possible. 